Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've got a very interesting program. You're going to want to stay tuned. Today, we're going to be meeting with two people who are what is called transgender. Many of you have heard about transgender. Some of you know something about it. Some of you know very little about it. For some of you, it's something extremely exotic. For some of you, it's the neighbor next door. Some of you have read about the famous case of the uh, decathlon uh, champion, Bruce Jenner, who uh, transgendered and uh, became Caitlyn Jenner. And that really opened up the entire area so that it is now very much part of middle America. And it literally can be the person next door. Today, we have the very good fortune of having two transgender women with us, one right here in the studio, and here is Gwen, Hi. and one all the way from Chicago, and here is Erica. Hi, Erica. Hi. So by way of background, folks, um, just to tell you a little about them, Gwen is a licensed structural engineer. She mostly works on existing buildings and structures, troubleshooting problems, and designing repairs and retrofits. She is active on a number of state and national professional committees and has over 80 publications to her name. Gwen is a parent and has two wonderful daughters. She's 47 years old, and she, as I said earlier, is transgender. Gwen transitioned from male to female four and a half years ago. Gwen's girlfriend, Erica, is also with us. Erica is in Chicago, and she's coming to us via Skype. Erica Johnson is a transgender woman and parent also of two wonderful young children currently in elementary school. She's been working as a senior software developer for nearly 15 years. She began her, her uh, gender redefinition, it's called, in 2011, finally liberating her mind from a vicious cycle of hopeful desire and hopeless impossibility that had plagued her thoughts since the age of four. We're going to be hearing a lot more of that during the interview, of course. Erica's children very much love their mom, and her connections with family and friends are stronger than ever now. Erica approached Gwen online about three, four years ago now, and they saw kindred spirits in their similar, very similar circumstances, and thus they began an exciting and thoughtful long-distance relationships until now. So, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Gwen. Thank you. And Erica. Thank you. We want to talk first about your early years because that's something on everybody's mind. What was it like? What was it like growing up with this feeling and what you had? What was it like for you? I grew up in rural Pennsylvania and it was really difficult. I grew up in the seventies and eighties and the word transgender hadn't even been invented at mm -hmm. the time. There was no word for what I felt. Mm -hmm. um, as I went through middle school and high school, I, I realized fairly quickly that I was very different than everyone else around me. 
And but I I didn't have any words to describe it. I didn't really identify with the guys in high school. I felt like I identified with the the girls, but I was I was also attracted to women, and it didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it, it just I didn't know what to. I didn't have any words to describe it. So I couldn't ask for help. I, I just I thought I was insane. You thought you were insane. Yes. Like there's something so drastically wrong with me that I must be crazy. I thought if anyone ever found out about what was in my head, that they'd lock lock me away for the rest of my life. And that started at what age? By by middle school, I realized there was a difference, and by high school, I realized I was very different than everyone else around me. And what about you, Erica? What can you tell us about your early experiences when you first realized something was different, as Gwen said?、Uh, I was I was quite young. I was about I think four years old when I first was able to verbalize to my parents、um, what I. What I was feeling, which was, I said, I think I'm a girl, and of course, you know, this was 1976, and、um, they kind of looked at me strangely and、uh, said, "Well, no, I, you know, we don't, we don't think you know what you're talking about," and、um, and that was kind of the end of that. So I kept it, I kept it inside、um, throughout my childhood, and and.、Um, You know, into high school and into college,、um, but I knew I knew from a very very young age, and、um, I, I I tried to I tried to I tried to express myself. I tried to understand,、um, you know, what was what was going on because, like Gwen said, there were there were no there was no terminology for it that I was aware of anyway. I mean, I couldn't just go to the internet and start looking things up at that time. It was it was not there. So. <laughs>、um, I,、uh, I I tried to、um, you know I tried to tell my parents several more times and I it caused it caused a lot of conflict and so I tried to I kept it kept it inside mostly and it was something that I thought about probably ninety five percent of my waking life. Do you have sisters and brothers? I do. I have a sister. She's a year younger than me. And were you able to talk to your sister about it? Um. Not really.、Uh, I I didn't feel comfortable with that.、Um, you know, she and I got along very well、um, up up until high school when we sort of drifted apart. But、um, when we were children, we were very close.、Um, but I just never I never felt that that was something that I could really share with her. Did you feel a kind of what you might say identity kinship with your sister since she was a girl? Did you have some kind of feeling like that? Definitely,、um, but it was it was also something that was very, I guess, un unreciprocated, right? Because she didn't know,、yeah. so it was it was just it was something that was more in my head than than reality, I guess. But yeah. So essentially, you were alone with your feelings. You had no、Correct. one, no one to really share at a deep level with. And, and that, was, was that true was for you as well? Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I was very shy and withdrawn. Yes. Yeah. And the same was true for you in terms、oh. of isolated with your 
I'm an, I'm an introvert to begin with, and this just concentrated it because I was afraid to tell anyone. Anyone. I didn't tell anyone until after graduate school. So both of you are college educated. Let's just spend a couple of minutes talking about what your experiences were like. Why don't you go first, Gwen, in college? Um, so I went to the University of Delaware for undergrad and then Cornell for graduate school. And I had friends, and I'm still friends with them today, uh, a large number of people from Delaware. And I, But I, I compartmentalized this part of me and tried to put it in a box and tried to keep that box as small as possible. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable telling anyone. I didn't, I just kept it extremely, extremely private because I was afraid. I was afraid of what society would do to me. I was afraid it would destroy my life. And all of us, all the time, you're having these feelings that you can't share, as you said earlier, that there's something wrong or not right or crazy or weird or something that, that wasn't... A misalignment. A misalignment in some way. And were you, did you date in college? Yes, yes, but I, I wasn't... Um, I didn't tell my girlfriends. Uh, like, I mean, I was... I, my plan, if, if we can even call it that, was to never tell anyone and if anyone ever found out, to, to kill myself, because I, I didn't have any alternative, as, as far as I knew. And yourself, in college, Erica? Uh, I went to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and um, I, I, that was the first time that I was, you know, away from home for an extended period of time. I was living, um, you know, on campus. And, uh, and I felt the, I, I, I definitely explored my gender identity at that point. Um, even though it was certainly not something that was even remotely common to see back then. Um, it was early nineties and, um, I, you know, I would experiment with different clothing, makeup, things like that. I would go out and buy myself you know, things that I thought might, you know, might make me feel good about who I was, right? Um, and I would, and I wasn't terribly afraid to show it, although I did, I did, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't an everyday occurrence, but it was certainly something that happened, you know, maybe once every couple of months or, and I wasn't sure, you know, that I was actually transgender at that point. I thought maybe I was a cross-dresser, um, but I, like I said, I didn't really know. Um, I, there was, <laughs> I was in the dorms and, uh, uh, I had a roommate and I was, he was out and I, I ended up getting all dressed up. He came home before I expected him to and he saw me and he was okay with me. But then within a week, I think he had petitioned to, 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 to have another room. <laughs> um, so. And I, I, did, I did date as well, and I, I dated women. Um, and uh, again, I was still very shy, and I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't like I was dating a lot of people or anything like that. But um, when you dated, I, was, when you dated, Erica, was it a kind of forced situation, or how was it for you dating a woman? Oh no, um, it, 
mean, was obviously, fun. I, 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 uh, the people that I dated, I really, in, uh, I really liked them as people. Uh-huh. I thought they were very interesting, wonderful people. Um, I was attracted to them, and I thought they were attracted to me. And I, and I, I did actually let them know about my gender issues, right? Um, but for the most part, it, it, I, I, I didn't really make an issue out of it. So. Can you can you remember talking to some of the girls in college that you dated and telling them about these trying to share some of your inner feelings about this? I yeah I don't remember specific conversations um, you know word for word but I do remember definitely speaking to to the people that I was with yes because I, I you know I never felt that it was something that I should you know hide from anyone right I mean this is me this is who I am I have some idea. What's going on? But you know, I, I like you know, I, I like to I like to talk things out with people that I'm close to, people that I trust. So most of us have a, a, a fair memory of our early sexual experiences. Can you remember early sexual experiences during this period? <laughs> um, I was not very sexually active. I mean, my, I don't, I don't think I actually was intimate with another person until it well into my twenties. Okay. Um, and I, I was, it's always been for me, it's always been more of a, a mental exercise for me because of the fact that I, I, I have to, or I, I, I see myself as a woman, and that's actually, you know, it's necessary, I guess, <laughs> um, in order in order for me to um, enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. To feel that way, to feel aligned in some way. Correct. Yes. Yes. I mean, the... These are difficult questions, and I understand that, but they're also the questions that are on people's minds that they want to know. And, uh, and that's why I so much appreciate your being here and being willing to, you know, to answer these difficult questions. And following college, somewhere along the way, you both got married. And we, we know from my introduction that you both have children. So when you tell us something about, about marriage, about how that came about and how it was for you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm divorced now. Yeah. Um, I met my then wife um, um, when I was in grad school. Um, at Cornell? At Cornell. Uh-huh. Um, we actually had, uh, we were introduced, it was one of the first email romances uh, possibly in the country. Uh, you know, it was very early on in email, uh-huh. and one of my friends had a friend in Boston, and we clicked. We, you know, we started emailing back and forth, and, yeah. and then she invited me to Boston to come visit her, and I was like, "Whoa, you know, that's <laughs> that, that's a that was a six hour drive." You know, um, it was a big deal. Um, we dated for a while, and then we, I got a job offer in California and a job offer in Boston where. Michelle was, and uh, said, "Well, we could move to California. We could move. I could move to Boston, where you are." And she's like, "Let's move to California." So we picked up everything and moved to California. And 
at around that time, I, there were starting to be words to describe how I felt. Um, out in the world. In, out in the world, yeah. right? So at the time, um, there were two words. There was transsexual and transvestite. Mm -hmm. And they both sounded absolutely horrible. I mean, they just, they're medicalized terms. They sound like there's something sick or wrong with you. Pathology. Yeah. So transsexual has the word sex in it. That sounds dirty. Transvestite sounds like Rocky Horror Picture Show. It sounds like you're a freak. Uh -huh. um, and that basically is a cross-dresser or transgender. So those are the two things, right? Transsexual is transgender now, and transvestite is now cross-dresser. Um, and I, I never saw a psychologist until much later, but I did research. You know, I was at Cornell. I, I had access to stuff. And I... I looked into these diagnoses, these medical diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And in order to be considered transsexual, what we now call really transgender, transsexual, there was sort of a checklist that psychologists would go through. And they might have four or five or six different little check marks that they do. And if you meet all of those, congratulations, you're transsexual. Um, and so I, I did them myself, right? I, I would, it's still secret at this point. I didn't want to tell anyone. So I went through the checklist myself. So one of the ones was you had to be willing to move far away, give up your name, give up your friends and family, and just move somewhere else and invent a life history. That sounds like the witness protection. Yeah, sort of, because <laughs> psychologists at the time, it was, it was a not the most enlightened approach to trans people. It was a learning curve, right? I won't take it personally. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. So when I started my career, when I started my career, homosexuality was a diagnostic category. Right, exactly. It was something we had to fight against for a long time. Right. So I understand. So, and that, you know, it separates you from your friends and family, right? So you lose your support network. If you change your name and pretend to be someone else, um, not just your first name, but your last name. Uh -huh. You you lose you sever your relationship to your education. It's it, that's a problem, right? Yeah. So that was oh. sort of a. Well, I don't want to do that. Um, if you were married, you had to get divorced, even if your spouse wanted to stay with you. Even if your spouse is like, you know what, I, I, I I'm okay with this. I want to go with you through this transition. I want to stay with you. You had to divorce your spouse first, it, it, even. Even if, in the words of the wife of a transgender woman that I interviewed on this program, a Catherine Raw, even in the words of Linda, I fell in love with the person, not the genitals. Right. Yeah, you still had you to still divorce. You still had to divorce. Because uh, they didn't want to create a gay marriage, right? Because, uh -huh. you know, if a, if a male person or someone who looks like male transitions to female and is married to a woman, it looks like two women together. It is two women well, it together. Is. That's right. Um, and, and that would create, suddenly there would be a, a gay marriage. And back then that was, you know, a big no-no. So the psychologist didn't want to participate in condoning a, a, a gay marriage. Right. And back then, being gay was bad, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the oh, yeah. you know, 80s and 90s. Oh, yes. Um, if um, they often made you transition first, Start wearing the clothes and, and makeup, potentially, um, if you're transitioning male to female, and presenting that gender without hormones. They would make you transition first, 
And then if you proved that you were really transgender, you know, you, you went six months or whatever, uh -huh. then, and you didn't get fired because it's, it's still legal in many states to get fired. Back then it was legal in all 50 states to fire someone if they transition. Um, then they might write you the prescription for, for hormones. So it was an obstacle course yes. in effect. Right. So what happened to you next? Well, I went through the checklist. So another one was um, you had to be attractive as a member of the opposite gender. And if they didn't find you attractive, they potentially wouldn't write you a prescription for hormones. Uh, and then the big one was if you were male transitioning to female, you had to be attracted to men. Okay, uh, I'm not. I'm not attracted to men. So I, I went through that, and then I'm like, oh, that's the big one, right? I can circle that. I can cross that off. It's not me. Yeah. So I am not transsexual. That was my own self-diagnosis uh -huh. diagnosis based on uh -huh. this stupid checklist. And so I'm, I decided, well, I must be transvestite, which still sounds horrible. I mean, it sounds really bad. Uh, but at the, around that time, the term cross-dressing cross-dresser was sort of invented uh -huh. and so that's how I came out to my the person who became my wife and I said well I'm I'm I guess I'm a cross-dresser and it was always it, there was always tension about that um, it wasn't something that was very comfortable and I I didn't cross-dress very often in public just a handful of times in and we're going to just pause Dr. Miller's program for just a moment to give you this urgent road report. Or Springs Road, about 15 minutes from Ukiah, has just suffered a major landslide and is closed indefinitely. So Or Springs Road, uh, again, about 15 miles uh, in from Ukiah, a landslide and the road is closed. So please use alternative routes. Thank you. 15 years of marriage or so, uh -huh. something like that. So, in terms of your relationship with your wife, since you're attracted to women, the attraction was there. Yes. It's just that the attraction was coming from a place in you that wasn't a masculine place, but was coming from a place inside of you that was a feminine place. Yes. Yes, that's right. How did that work out with her? Uh, like I said, it was always uh, a tension in the tension? marriage. Yeah, uh -huh. I mean, she was tolerant. Mm-hmm. Um, but tolerance doesn't win the war in marriage, right? <laughs> it, it didn't. It didn't. You know, long term, it didn't work, yeah. right? And yeah. and so in in 2011, she told me that things weren't working out, and she basically said, "Look, either you get therapy, we get couples therapy, mm -hmm. or we're just going to divorce right now." Okay, let's stop that sure, story yeah. right there. Mm -hmm. We know where we're at, right? Yep. It's 2011. Right. Your wife just told you either go to a shrink or it's over. Right. We're going to turn to you, Erica, and tell us. Post-college, bring okay. us forward um, in regard to your getting married and, and so on. Understood. Um, so, yeah, I, after college, I was living in the city of Chicago. Um, I had roommates um, and... Uh, guys and uh, I was very open with them and I experimented at the time in terms of my you know my gender expression um, and so I would dress up I had you know I wasn't I wasn't hiding it I didn't do it all the time I you know I, I had a job I worked um, nights at a, at a factory an hour away from Chicago 
And um, I did that for about five years. And um, so, yeah, but during that time, on my personal time, I definitely spent a lot of a lot of time playing with my gender expression and and things like that. Um, and then I I actually met my my ex um, in 1999. Um, I uh, at the very beginning of the relationship, I told her um, about what was going through my head because it was something. It was very significant for me. I mean, like I said, I thought about this about 95 percent of my waking life. Yes. And I uh, so I told her, you know, right up front because at this point I had. You know, there was access to the internet, right? And there was there were some there was some information about transgender individuals, you know, um, out there to to research at this point. And so, you know, I, I, a recurring thing that I that I saw, a recurring theme that I saw was that, you know, it was like a surprise coming out sort of a thing, like you know, you see on Jerry Springer or something like that, like. Guess guess what? I'm really a woman, you know. <laughs> you know, five years into the relationship or something like that, um, and I always thought that that was really, you know, kind of a poor way of doing things. I, you know, and I, I prefer honesty whenever possible. So I, you know, I uh, explained to my ex before we ever started dating what was going on with with me in my head with my gender identity and gender expression and all of that and and she didn't really like it but she decided to stay with me and uh, that progressed into you know a long-term dating and then eventually we um you know bought a house together got married um and throughout this entire time she was very much aware of my 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 gender issues and we talked about it a lot we argued about it a lot um but i didn't i never hid anything from her um she you know she was pretty clear that she didn't like it um and she often would deride me or make fun of me or that kind of you know just in even in you know big ways and small ways i guess if i ever dressed up around her she was like i don't want to be a part of that um but it was something that i actually regularly did because I, you know, when I went out to see my friends and things like that, I wanted to be me. Um, and I still hadn't fully accepted that that was all of me yet. Um, but I knew that it was definitely a big part of me. Now, somewhere along the line, you had two children with her. Correct. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we, 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 we figured out, um, you know, uh, some things about our, our our attraction with one another and our and our our, our personal sexual hangups and things like that and we you know eventually you know we said yeah you know what we we've, we've been thinking we've both been thinking about having children and, and and we started talking about it more and we decided to um, to to do that and uh, it was my my daughter um, was born in 2008 at the end of 2008 and um, and then uh, you know we had it was it was interesting because during the period of her like when she was very young like when be, between the ages of um, you know when she was born and two years old she um, 
my my focus was on her, you know, on my daughter, right, and and on trying to build a home and and build a life, you know, build a family, and that was that kind of like pushed my my gender issues to the background uh-huh. um, for for a period of time, but then they resurfaced with a vengeance in 2010, and I was. I just at the end of 2010, I was I was close to losing my mind because I just I, I just there was something so wrong. I was so conflicted. I felt like I was going to like I was going to screw up my daughter by not being able to be the parent that I needed to be to her. Um, so I I started again talking to my wife a, a lot more intensely about um, about my gender problems and uh and it it came to a head in in 2011 the beginning of 2011 and that's um that's when i i i actually started living and working as a woman at the end of january of 2011 um i and i knew at that point that you know talking to my wife about it wasn't going to get me anywhere and i knew i had to do it and so i just did it you just did what I just, I started living and working. I was started going to work as a woman. I actually talked to my HR department um, at the end of like the third week in January. And then by the begin, uh, by the end of the fourth week in January, I was going to work as a woman. But you hadn't um, had your, you hadn't had your second child yet or you had? Uh, my, my wife was pregnant with our second child at the time. At the time. And, but you hadn't gone through any surgery or, or, or hormone replacement yet, or had you? Correct, I had not. So you were just beginning in that, about 2011, that was yet to come. Well, I, yeah, at that point I had decided, I don't know, I, I didn't know much about hormone replacement therapy, and so I was a bit afraid of it, and uh-huh. I wasn't sure where I would go to get it anyway. Uh-huh. Um, and... I, I figured, well, and maybe, maybe I was, maybe my thought was colored by, you know, the old process that Gwen mentioned, which was, you know, you have to have this real life test first, right? And so maybe that's what was coloring my thoughts at the time. But that's, you know, I just decided to do that of my own accord. Okay, so it's 2011. It's the same year that uh, Gwen was referencing before, and in your situation, it's 2011. Your wife is pregnant. You are now going to work as a woman, feeling more like you're being the person that you feel like inside, but you haven't done anything, as we might say, quote, physical yet, hormone replacement, any kind of transformational surgery, and so on. Correct. No medical intervention. No medical intervention. Well said. Okay, let's come back to you. 2011. Yeah, so... so my my ex at the, my wife at the time said look either therapy or we divorce and i had never wanted to go to a therapist right because i didn't want a therapist messing with that box right that box where i kept the compartment my, where you yeah, kept everything I, I wanted to keep that small as i could uh, over time it slowly grew but i still kept that lid on really tight and i never wanted to talk to a therapist who I don't know, right? It's someone I don't know. Um, I don't share details like that with a stranger at the at that time, right? That it was very private, and but 
But given the choice between divorce and therapy, I said, well, I'm going to, we're going to do therapy. Mm -hmm. So I found a therapist in, in Los Angeles where we were living, and she specialized in LGBTQ issues, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer issues. Thank you. Um, and we started talking, right? Therapy is all about talking and talking through stuff. And my ex, my wife at the time, was in the middle of finishing up her residency and a fellowship for medical school. Mm -hmm. So she was really busy. She had to write a big thesis. It was a big deal. And, and she finally said, look, you need to just, you need, you need to do therapy on your own because you've got some big issues. Uh, so I continued therapy while my ex was still going through medical school. Uh -huh. And I had, we had two children at the time, one in 2004, one in 2009. Um, and at, at, so I went, continue going therapy. And finally I asked my therapist, I'm like, this is great. You know, I like coming to talk with you. She's a wonderful therapist, um, Melissa Garcia uh, Sanchez in Los Angeles. If anyone's down there, um, I do. <laughs> uh, she's, she's wonderful, but I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm paying you money and I don't see where this, where this goes. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Oh, well I just, uh, I, my job isn't to tell you what to do. My job is to help you figure out what, what you want. Uh -huh. And right like that, I, I knew, I said, well, I know what I want. And she's like, well, I just need to hear you say it. Uh -huh. And I said, I want hormones. Now, even then, this is 2011, I was still thinking, I'm not, I don't qualify for hormones. I don't meet that, mm -hmm. that stupid that checklist. Standard, yeah. um, so I didn't actually think she'd say yes. Yes. But she was, she said, yeah, no, no problem. Uh -huh. We just, we'll do, go through a few more sessions to, you know, flesh uh -huh. out things. Uh -huh. And, you know, I'll continue to work with you if you decide to do hormones and we'll go through that. But I don't see any reason why you, there's no reason why you can't take hormones. And in, in the case of hormones, so the viewers know, um, if you're male transitioning to female, you block the testosterone. You take a testosterone blocker, an anti-androgen, and you may add, you'd add estrogen. Yes, that's right. Estradiol, and you may add progesterone. I mean, it's actually not rocket science. It's mm -hmm. fairly simple. Uh -huh. You block one chemical compound, you add one or two back in. Not too different from what postmenopausal women take no. all the time. No, they don't have to take the they testosterone take blocker, testosterone. but That's yeah, right. it's, it's basically the same stuff. Right. Um, and I, I, I got a prescription in a few months, a few months later, I got a prescription and, uh, my wife at the time said, you know, she wanted to know, is this a, is this a choice? Or is this sort of something that it's unavoidable, right? And so, you know, there's a lot of talk about how it's a choice to be transgender. No one chooses to be transgender. I, I mean, I, I have a great career. I had a great, I have a great family, uh, but I didn't choose to be transgender. I, I chose to do something about it because it was driving me I was in horrible depressions. You almost me. said driving me crazy. Well, yes, but uh, but also driving me towards doing something very bad to myself. Like suicide? Yes, I had suicidal thoughts almost every day. 
where I'd be like, you know, I, this is how I could end my life, or that, that might be a good way to end my life. You know, as a postscript here, one of the things, of the many things that is so remarkable about the two of you and about your courage is that you're both telling us stories of huge portions of your lives where everything was secret, right. everything was in the compartment, as you put it, no one to share it with. And here now, five years from 2011, actually it's six years, it's 2017, it's you're, both to, you're both talking openly <laughs> on, on, out to a listening audience yeah. of uh, who knows how many people. And that is quite remarkable. And so, as this is going on, Erica told us a little a few moments ago that she started going to work uh, as a woman, told the HR person at work, what about yourself in terms of your outward appearance and what, what's going through as you're taking the uh, hormones and, and right. you know, in so your professional fall. life? I mean, you're a professional person. You have 80 publications. You know, you're a prominent member of your field. Yeah. Well, from my perspective. So okay. <laughs> 80 <laughs> publications from my book is, uh, is quite significant. Sure. I, I'm fairly well known yes, in my field. But, I'm sure. Um, so fall of 2011, I started taking hormones, and it felt so amazing it felt like I had been running on the wrong gasoline or it just I felt so much better and my body started to change a little bit you know I, I lost some body hair my face rounded out um, I started to grow breasts mm -hmm. um, and after a few months I mean some people can do that and sort of divvy up their private life and and their and their work life and, and draw a line and be one gender in one life and one gender in mm -hmm. the other. And that just wasn't going to work for me. My, my two mixed, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I decided I had to come out to my company and tell them this is, I'm going to have to transition. So I, I went to our corporate headquarters in Illinois near Chicago and I lined up 11 people were high in the company and in one day I came out to 11 people one after the next after the next after the next it was like a 12-hour day uh -huh. where I just went from one appointment to the next uh -huh. to the next to the uh -huh. next and I told them this is what I'm going through I had been with the company for since 94 so 17 years uh -huh. and every single one of them said you know we value you and we support you in this, oh, gosh. which was just, which just unbelievable. And, you know, 20 years prior, I think that was unthinkable. Uh -huh. But the world has changed for the better uh -huh. in many areas of the country, and they accepted me. And so I worked with HR. We, um, Since I'm licensed, I'm a licensed structural engineer, I had to ch change my name and my license and... and how people referred to me at work, all mm -hmm. very coordinated. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to line up my court date. That's not something you could just do. You had to set a court date. And back then you had to go and you had to convince the judge that they should grant you your name change. And then I had to immediately change my license name and my driver's license mm -hmm. and everything else. Mm -hmm. Right? It's a big mess. And I had to come out to the office. My office has about 40 people in it uh -huh. in, in the Bay Area. So we had a big pizza lunch, and I, I came out to them over the course of an hour and a half, right? I mean, I, I basically sat down with them. I said, this is what's going on in my life. Here's what I've been struggling with. 
we had pizza, I got a bunch of hugs, and that was on a Thursday, and Friday I came in, they had already changed my name on my telephone and my mailbox. Oh my gosh. And Monday, the following Monday, I came in as Gwen, and and it was great. Was that the biggest, one of the biggest reliefs in your entire life? It was absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. For those of you tuning in, we're here at Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. We're here with Gwen, right here in the studio, and with Erica, who's coming to us from Chicago. Both of them are transgender women. They're telling the story of their lives. They're both professional people with long careers and who spent a good part of their careers in their former gender identity. And they're telling us the story of how they transitioned. And fortunately, in both cases, they were welcomed at work, which is such a big part of our lives. Because one of the fears so many people have when they feel like they have a secret a secret that perhaps if they told, they would lose their work, they might lose their family, they don't know how much they're going to lose, but it could be enormous. Fortunately, in both these cases, Erica and, and you're hearing, and Gwen, both were able not only to keep their jobs, but were to keep their jobs and be welcomed, which is, which is really quite remarkable. So while this is going on, tell us, please, you go first, Erica, a little bit about the children. I have, um, I have been right now uh, an eight-year-old daughter. Her name is Genevieve, and we call her Gigi for short. Um, and uh, so, Gigi, uh, excuse me, Gigi knew you in a male identity, correct? And now she knows you as a as in a female identity, correct? How's she handling? Yes. How's she handling she's, it? Oh, she's great. She's fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, she was she was born at the end of 2008. Um, at the beginning of 2011, I transitioned. She at that point was very very much aware of you know who I was and and whatnot. And uh, I explained it to her. I said this is this is who I am, and she understood it like right from the start. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I didn't ch we didn't change anything about uh, how she addressed me. Um, she's still she just calls me daddy. She still does to this day. Um, which I'm totally fine with. She can call. She can call me whatever she wants. She's fantastic. Um, she, uh, uh, as as she grew and and as uh, we went through a divorce, my son eventually was was born uh, in summer of 2011. Um, I was still going through the divorce. I still hadn't started hormones, um, and my parents weren't talking to me. Uh, the divorce was very difficult. It was very, very aggressive, very angry. Um, it, it was, it was irrational on every level. Um, and I was, I was having trouble getting time with my, with, with my daughter. And then also when my son was born with my son, um, he, uh, my son's name is Graham. He's now, he's now, um, five and a half years old, also doing very well. Um, he, um, he was born, uh, when he was born, he had a collapsed lung and pneumonia. And so he had to spend about, I think it was eight or nine days in the NICU. And I was only allowed to see him for 15 minutes per day by court order because of the divorce proceedings. Oh my. Uh, it was, it was, yeah. And so I went, I used to go <clears throat> at night. I would go to the hospital at night when I knew nobody else was was going to be there and I would sit with him for hours and change his diaper and 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a very difficult time. Um, and, uh, as, yeah, as, as the divorce progressed and as my children grew up, um, you know, my daughter actually stepped up and would defend me to my, to my, uh, to my wife. Um, and, you know, my wife would call me by my old name. She would come, you know, she would use my old pronouns. Her members of her family would do the same thing. And my daughter would actually step up at, you know, three, three years old. And she would say, you mean her, you mean she. Oh my gosh. And they, and she would correct them when they were referring to me incorrectly. And I, I, yeah, I mean, she's just amazing. <laughs> so. And you want to tell us something about your relationship with your children, please. Yeah, so my daughter was, I think, nine when I transitioned, eight or nine, and my my younger daughter was two and a half or three or something like that. Um, yeah, about three. And so Iona, my younger daughter, she's on, she, she barely remembers me as my old self. She mostly remembers me as me, as Gwen. Mm-hmm. My older daughter, Arden, she she definitely remembers the old me. I mean, we have pictures. I'm not afraid of my old pictures or anything. It's just, it's something that I was and now I'm not. Yeah. Um, she's fine with it. And she's she's told her friend. You know, everyone in our community kind of knows, right? I'm, I'm the trans woman in the community. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, everyone knows my name. I may not know their name uh-huh. because everyone knows who Gwen is. Um, it's not a huge community. Um, and, you know, Arden, my older daughter, had to kind of explain to her friends, you know, because their friends were old enough to, to see the, and understand the transition, but not, they didn't, a lot of them didn't know what transgender was in 2012, 2013. So Arden would try to, and I'd feel so horrible for her. I mean, she'd try to explain to her friends and she'd say, well, this is, uh, there's no word for me, right? Um, I'm not really her mother. Um, and I, I have trouble with father and being called daddy out in public because it, it sort of, it draws attention to me and I don't like that. Um, so she would try to explain to her friends and she'd say, well, this is Dee Dee. And we chose Dee Dee because it sounds like a female name. I mean, my name's Gwen, but her nickname for me is Dee Dee. Uh-huh. Daddy, Dee Dee. Um, we tried, we t- t- thought about Maddie, mommy, daddy, Maddie, uh-huh. but there really isn't a good word, right? So you know, she introduced me as Dee Dee, but her friends are like, well, is that your aunt? Is that and someone? One of them said, "Is that your grandmother?" And that was not okay. <laughs> uh, um, is that your babysitter? I mean, they go through there, sure. uh, and and Iona would would do a stone cold blank. Like Iona would just say, "No, that's not my aunt. Uh-huh. No, that's not my grandmother. Uh-huh. No, that's not my babysitter," and just leave them hanging. Uh-huh. <laughs> Arden would would try to explain, and she'd say, "Oh, that's my DD. She used to be my daddy. Now she's my DD." But I could see the blank looks in her friends' faces, and eventually they figured it out. It wasn't mm-hmm. a big deal. Mm-hmm. But it just—I felt bad because she had to. Our society doesn't 
necessarily have those words yet. It's not. Mm. Yeah. Now, are your phones more. alive? Yes, sir. And what's going on as this is happening? What's going on with your folks? So back in 2011 and 2012, my body was changing. Right. And my parents were going to come out and visit. And I said, this could be really bad, right? I mean, they're going to know. I mean, I look different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't done my hair and stuff, but um, I look different. So I, I, I had to tell them. And I wanted to not surprise them at the door, open the door and go, hi. Guess what? Yeah. So, so I, after a few months of hormones, I went back to Pennsylvania to, to talk to them and mm -hmm. tell them. And I started talking about transgender and how I'm transgender. My dad is nodding. Now, my dad's 70, at this time, he's 73, maybe 74. Back then. So, yeah. So my dad's nodding. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, my dad understands, right? And I say, I say, I see you nodding. Do you know what transgender means? And he said, no. <laughs> he, was, he was trying to be supportive, but he didn't know what transgender was. So uh -huh. I had to do what we call transgender 101. I have to, you know, teach my parents what it means to be transgender. And, and <clears throat> I didn't have all the answers. I didn't know how I was going to transition. I didn't know how it would work with work. But... I said, you know, I picked out a name. It's going to be Gwyneth, Gwen for short. And within three months, they were calling me Gwen. Oh, my God. Which was just amazing. They uh -huh. came out and visited me three months later, and uh -huh. they started. They were calling me uh -huh. Gwen. Uh -huh. And when I transitioned completely, another six months later, uh, you know, they, they've been behind me. The minute I told them. I think the clue is when your dad was nodding, even though he didn't know what he was nodding about, he was letting you know that you had his support. Right. And that's, that's what they told me. They said, you know, if it that. doesn't work out with work, we've, we've got your back. Oh, my gosh. That's terrific. Um, yes. You know, I didn't know how they'd take it. They had no idea. Yeah. They, because I kept it in that box. Uh-huh. They didn't know. I mean, I hit them... Out of the blue with this. Small town in Pennsylvania? Hershey. Hershey. Hershey oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Uh -huh. So rural Pennsylvania. Yes. Um, and it's not something that's ever talked about in Hershey, at least you know, at the time. Mm -hmm. And anyway, they've been wonderful. And they've been incredibly supportive. And that's not very common. It's really not very common. Because you have information from the transgender community about how many people's families have turned against them? Yeah. Is that it's a lot. Yeah. A lot? Yeah. And, and homeless youth out in the street, a very large percent of them are LGBT. And, and trans kids probably bear the brunt. I mean, it's the worst, right, for parents. They just, parents sometimes can't handle it. And they, for some reason, they equate it as a death. Oh, I, my son died, but I'm getting a daughter that I didn't want, or something like that. And that, mm -hmm. that death analogy is just horrible, because I'm the same person. I'm really the same person. I'm happier. I like my body now. Um, it used to be when I would go by a mirror in the morning, for example. I'd get up in the morning and look at the mirror, and I'd be shocked. I would see a, a guy mm -hmm. in the mirror, mm -hmm. and I'd be shocked. It felt like someone had slapped me. I was so shocked that there was a guy in the mirror. I expected to see a woman. And then I would realize, you know what? I'm probably going to die this way. I'm going to die the wrong gender. And it felt like a gut punch. That really is a response. Your response to the mirror was really a response to the question before, 
about whether this is a choice or whether this is unavoidable. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's, I didn't choose this. I chose to do something about it because I was struggling with depression. Uh, I, I mean, you can't live your life thinking about suicide all the time, and that's what I was doing. The suicide rate, as we've talked about, amongst teenagers who are transgender is something um, about 40%. Well, it's not suicide rate, it's attempted suicide. Attempted suicide I, rate. And that, I'm sure there are many trans kids who commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Who we don't even know about uh-huh. because they were they might be like me they keep it in a box and they don't tell anyone they just they just do something horrible um but yeah over 40 percent of trans people attempt suicide and it's not because they're mentally ill i mean i hold down a and erica holds down a great job uh you know i'm a professional i, I i'm a structural engineer and there's nothing wrong with my brain there's something wrong with my body and we can fix that, yes. whether it's hormones or surgery or whatever. I mean, how I present, I'm so much happier as Gwen than I ever was presenting male. Yeah, the trans, I call it the transporter, this thing that we that carries us around. Yes. And, and the, the, the eye in there was fine, but the transporter didn't fit. Right, That's exactly, said, yeah, right? exactly. What uh, Sean O'Leary calls it the spacesuit. I call it the transporter. So, okay, so things are moving along pretty well in terms of the children, very well in terms of your jobs, excellent with regard to your parents. Bring us up to date on your parents who at first had a reaction that was very painful. Yeah, they, I, I had to explain to them why, why the divorce had started. So that was, that was the, the first conversation I had with them about you know, as as an as an adult, because this is definitely something I kept from like being the fact that I felt trans um, throughout my entire life. <laughs> um, I, I definitely kept that from them um, in 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 my adult years. It was something I never mentioned to them, and they knew from when I was in high school and college, and even before that. You know that I had had some conversations with them about it, and it never ended well. So at at that point, I never I, I didn't bring it up again. Um, so I was open with other people in my life. I just never, was not open with my parents about it, um, and I dreaded talking to them about it. And um, so yeah, when the divorce began, uh, I had to explain to my parents why um, that that my ex was. That my wife was upset with me that I was now living and working as a woman, and my dad, my dad essentially stopped talking to me for about a year, and um, my mom talked to me. And she she and I communicated fairly regularly from the beginning, and it only took her about a month maybe two months to really accept and understand who I was, but it was all, it was mostly phone conversations. Um, but when my son was born, it was the first time that, uh, uh my mom actually flew to Chicago because they live in Colorado. Um, my mom flew to Chicago, uh, to, to be there, um, after my son was born. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was the first time that she met me in person as Erica. Mm-hmm. And, um, she was, she was, she was fine. I mean, we had lots of conversations. We had some wine. We, 
But he did? Uh, did he come around? He did. He, he did, did eventually. It took him uh, a little over two years. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. i got to cut you off here because we're running out of time, and I, okay. I've got to give you both at least 90 seconds each to say something about the surgery because everybody wants to know about the surgery because surgery is scary to everybody, right? It's, every kind of surgery is scary. So just something about sure. the surgery, so, about it, the surgery, anticipation, whatever you want to say for us. Okay, so I, I do want to start off by saying if, if you know someone, if your audience knows someone who's trans, it's generally considered, no offense, fairly rude to ask them about surgery. Um, I don't mind, I mean, I'm on your show, right? I, and, I, and I'm kind of an open book. I don't mind anymore. Um, but, but if you ask a trans person who maybe you just met, you, if you start asking them about surgery, they're going to shut you down pretty quickly because, you know, you wouldn't ask just a random person on the street what surgeries that they had and stuff like that. So with that being said, I had surgery. Um, surgery, not all trans people have surgery. That's important for listeners to know. Yeah. Um, I've had two surgeries. I had one where my hairline was fixed because uh -huh. I had tremendously receding hairline. Uh -huh. um, and then I had what we call bottom surgery or gender uh -huh. confirmation surgery. And for me, that was a minor part of my transition. I mean, I, I had transitioned already. You can't, you can't have surgery until a year after you transition. Um, uh, bottom surgery. You can't have it. You, you have to transition first. They don't. The theory is they don't want to make a mistake um, and, and do it to someone who doesn't want it. So you're supposed to live, in my case as a woman, for a year before you're even you're allowed Understood. to have it. Right. Um, that's pretty common. Yes. Um, so to me, I had already transitioned. Um, the surgery was done for other reasons. Um, political reasons. I mean, you know, I, I need to use a restroom or a bathroom, like a locker room with my kids. And if I have stereotypically male genitalia, that could create issues in a locker room. And I just, I didn't want to wind up on the newspaper or anything like that. So, so otherwise you might not have done it. Correct. Thank you. Is the same true for you? I have not had surgery. Um, and again, I'm also open about talking about it. Um, however, many trans people are not. Um, yeah, I have not had surgery. I, it, it, honestly, I understand that it's, you know, I understand the procedure. I understand the risks involved and all of that. I just decided that um, it scares the hell out of me to do anything to my body, basically. So, um, yeah, I have, not, know, I have not had surgery. That's very honest. And I think you know, most people, regardless of whether the surgery has to do with our genitals or has to do with our stomach or has to do with a leg, you know, Correct. surgery is it's called going under the knife. Yeah. And it's, and you know, I, it's scary. And, and I, don't, I don't have a, 